Okay, open up to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 6. It's quite an interesting book that we are going through. It's written by Solomon. Uh, there's been several sermons already that lead up to this one. So you can, you can find all the past sermons on the app or on the website. So please catch up if you're newer to the church or you haven't heard the sermons before this one. Go ahead and check that out because it's important to know the background of the book. But we'll go to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. The sermon today is called Solomon and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Life. Do you remember that children's book, right? The Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Solomon is walking around the earth and he's noticing there's problems that this life can't solve. There's, there's desires that this life, this world can't fulfill. And he was wise and he was rich and he was in the Bible. He still wasn't happy. So he wrote this whole book as a reflection on this world, on this life. And he wrote this whole book to help us search for meaning. Now, we're going to see today uh, why life on earth is often so miserable and what we can do about it. We're actually going to read chapter 5, verse 18 first, because where last week's sermon ended, this week's sermon begins. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. What we learned last week is that the only place to find joy in this life, joy on earth, is actually in heaven. God has to give you joy from heaven or you won't find it anywhere on earth. And we tie that into the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, you can write this down. We are to find abundant joy in God through Christ. When Jesus came along, he said, one greater than Solomon is here. And where Solomon's search ended, Jesus brought down the fullness of wisdom and the fullness of grace. So we learned at the end of last week's sermon what we're going to start with this week. Then we'll unpack it. If you don't find abundant joy in God through Christ, nothing in this life will satisfy your soul. It doesn't matter what you have, there will always be something missing. So um, my grandma had a sleeper sofa, and then somehow it got handed down to us when we moved. And so we have this, and sleeper sofas next to pianos are things you don't want to move. I mean, they are not light, never move a piano, and never move a sleeper sofa. But somehow it got into our last house, then it got into this house, and we moved it a few times. And um, my, my parents, my dad in particular, would tell me, this is like one of the best sleeper couches out there. Okay, but whenever we would open it up, like if we had guests in town or whatever, it wasn't very comfortable. Like it kind of had a bump and it was tipped backwards. So you were kind of sleeping with your feet up in the air. And we were just like, what? I don't know what they're talking about. This is not a very comfortable sleeper couch. So anyway, we decided a couple weeks ago, maybe it's time to get rid of it. And then we started to move it around. And when we lifted it up, we realized something was missing. Somehow in one of the moves, the legs never got put back on. So the couch has just been low riding for a few years now. No wonder when we lift out the sleeper part, it's like this. No wonder when we put it back in, it scratches the floor. Something's missing. Something very important, the couch legs. So I went on Amazon and ordered, ordered legs for the couch, and then they came and I put them on, set it back up, and wouldn't you know it, it fixed the problem. 
it actually is a very comfortable sleeper sofa. The middle bar doesn't go into your back, and you don't sleep with your feet in the air as long as you have all the pieces assembled properly. We felt kind of foolish not realizing that sooner. Now listen, when something is missing on the sleeper sofa, you can't get comfortable, no matter how hard you try. Now listen, in this life, if the biggest thing is missing, the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never get comfortable. You will never get joyful because the biggest thing is missing. Jesus Christ is the one who brings you joy. Find abundant joy in God through Christ. In the Valley Vision prayer book, it says this, all the good things in life are less than nothing when compared with God's love. All the treasures of a million worlds could not make me richer, for his unsearchable riches are mine in Christ. Is that what you have in Christ? Have you found the one in whom are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Have you found abundant joy in God through Christ? Jot this down. Here's four of our essentials when it comes to a church. Here's what it means to know Christ. We worship him, worship Christ. Do you worship Christ? Have you concluded that he's not just a good person, one of the greats like Gandhi, who did a lot of good things, who you should like, who you should like. He's not someone who you should like. He's someone who you should worship. If someone pulls you out of a burning building and saves your life, you will thank them. You will write them cards. You will give them a food basket. You, all your life, when you see them, you will tell them how much they mean to you because they saved your life. How much more if someone saves your soul? forever. You will not just like him. You will love him. You will worship him. Do you worship Christ? He came down from heaven. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. Now he rules heaven. He alone has the authority to forgive your sins. Do you worship him? Jot this down. Walk with Christ. Walk with Christ. The Bible says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Walking with Christ means you have fellowship with God. Because you know Jesus, you read your Bible and get to know him better. You are around other Christians and you grow in spiritual friendships. Do you walk with Christ, growing in grace? And over time, is there evidence that you are being transformed? The Bible says from one degree of glory to another. You're being changed. You're being changed. Walk with Christ. And then jot this down. Do you work for Christ? Do you find ways to serve him and to serve others in the church, outside the church, and in the world? Do you have a, here am I, send me, spirit. Here am I, use me, sign me up. Do you, do you work for Christ in a measurable way? And then jot this down, do you witness for Christ? This is a scary one, telling other people about Jesus, but do you have a heart to tell others what God has done for you? Do you find ways to tell them how good God is to you, how he's provided for you, how he's protected you, how he saved you? Do you find ways to name the name of Jesus in everyday life? When Lauren and I went on our honeymoon uh, to the Poconos, we were at some, you know, resort, and it was all, like, hearts everywhere and super cutesy. But we were sitting at the table, and this other couple was there celebrating, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe their 30th anniversary or something. And this guy was real talkative. And apparently he had worked for some newspaper in New York. And so he started talking, and within the first 10 seconds, he started talking about how much Jesus had done in his life. Now all the newlyweds and the lovebirds were sitting there just watching him talk. And he had these great stories of how Jesus changed his life and provided for him. And he just kept going. And we were just like newly married. And I was looking at him. I'm like, you're my hero. You're just not afraid even one bit. Here you are just talking about Jesus like he's your best friend. 
People like that really challenge me. And maybe that's not your style of sharing your faith, but do you have an openness to tell people in your way about who God is and how he saved you and how much he means to you and what the Bible is doing in your heart? Or are you like a secret service Christian? You know, does nobody know that you really love Jesus? We want to witness for Christ. And the Bible is really clear. It says in 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the first point is this, find abundant joy in God through Christ. When the Bible says if you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. We need that to understand why Solomon is so miserable. Because he's on and off again with God. He's double-minded. He's starting with God and then wandering off into misery. And it makes sense because he hasn't decidedly put his faith in the living God. Okay, so that gives you and me a choice to make. We have to recognize that what Solomon is saying is true. So again, back into Ecclesiastes chapter 6. God is just now, in chapter 5, God is the one who's putting joy in the heart. Only God can do that. Chapter 6, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun. So again, he's, he's, very, he's reporting on real problems in the world. And it lies heavy on mankind. Wow, it's evil and it's heavy. What could it be? A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires? Well, that sounds a lot like Solomon. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. Not happy. Just, I know, you kind of want to slap Solomon at times and be like, you've got it all. Stop whining, right? Just get past that and realize that what he's saying, you're going to struggle with too. I have more now than I've ever had. I'm still not happy. I, my, my wealth has kind of gone up and my happiness is not. And it says God has not given him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. Now that could mean after death, you have to leave it to somebody else or even after great loss. Earlier in chapter 5, there was this scenario where somebody lost it all, right? So whether it's death that takes it or life that takes it, somebody else is enjoying what this person had. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil, he says. So jot this down, number two. Uh, find abundant joy in God through Christ because nothing on earth can satisfy your soul. Nothing on earth can satisfy your soul. It says God can even allow you to have wealth, possessions, honor, so that you lack nothing of all you've ever wanted. All of your dreams have come true, but you can't enjoy them. The implication here, the indictment, is that, is that this person is placing an, uh, you know, their hope in what's on earth. And God won't let that person find what they're looking for. If, if all that they want is the treasure of earth, they won't find it. He won't give them power to enjoy it. Nothing on earth can satisfy your soul. There's ultimately on earth no meaning, no profit, no lasting gain, no security, no satisfaction unless God gives it to you. You won't find it. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Ryan, back in the 80s, Belinda Carlisle sang a song, Heaven is a place on earth. Can't we get there somehow? Why can't this world satisfy me? Why can't I be happy down here? How come I can't finally cross over and say, now I've got as much as I need and I'll be happy the rest of my life? It just doesn't work that way. Even if you go to literally the happiest place on earth. I like this picture I saw on Facebook. Check it out. This is called the happiest place on earth, right? <laughs> they call it a people trap set by a mouse. <laughs> you think that you are going to be happy there. And oh, there are thrills. But then you get home and you see the bill. 
and all of your smiles go away, and the tears show up. Sometimes you have blowouts at the happiest place on earth. We've been to Disney several times, and wow, the family feuds I have witnessed in lines, knockdown, drag-out fights, kid tantrums. Disney needs a, like a, a discipline zone where they have all the villains, like, there to tell the little, like Jafar, like, you will obey your parents, right? Then it would be a lot happier, the happiest place on earth. My point is this, even if you go to the happiest places on earth and have all, everything that the world can offer, in the end, your soul will not be satisfied. You might enjoy it for a while, it won't last. Nothing on earth can satisfy your soul, nothing. Jot this down, not money, not money. We drilled down on this last week. The whole sermon last week was on why money can't satisfy. Corrupt people can take it away from you. You can lose it in an instant. Uh, there's a lot of reasons. You know, even if you, even if you have everything you thought you wanted, somehow you're still empty inside. The higher the income, the higher the net worth, the higher the life satisfaction. Actually, no, it's often the opposite. Often, the bigger your bank account, the bigger your stomach ache when you're going to bed at night. Take, for example, Mark Zuckerberg. Check it out. Here's a picture of how much he lost. $30 billion in a day. $30 billion in a day. Now, you can spend a long time being like, I want to be him. Oh, if only I was him. Then I could... Have you lost $30 billion in a day? I'm thankful I will never have to worry about that. How do you think he slept that night? It's here. It's gone. And here's the thing. Even if he didn't lose it a couple weeks ago, he would have lost it when he died. It's guaranteed. It's going away. So money can't satisfy. Actually, it often has the opposite effect. Truly, what gives us joy in life is generosity. Giving. Generosity gives joy. Supporting other people. Caring for the needy. Supporting God's kingdom and those who are making sacrifices for God's kingdom. It's often in the giving that you get the joy, not in the getting. So nothing on earth can satisfy your soul. Not money. Not money. It says here, a man to whom God gives wealth. But God doesn't give them the power to enjoy it. And then possessions. So write this down, not possessions. Possessions won't satisfy your soul. The newest tech, the flashiest car. Now, careful, I'm not saying that it's a problem to have things. The Bible actually doesn't condemn somebody. There's no, like, threshold where it's like, you now have a sinful amount of stuff. Um... There's not like a net worth where like, oh, your income crosses this penny threshold. Now you should just repent and stop making that money. The Bible doesn't do that. What it will do, though, is this. It'll say, here's where contentment starts. Uh, food, clothing, shelter, Christ. Now you're content. And if it doesn't start there, you'll never find it at any higher level than that. If, if you don't find it at that point, contentment doesn't begin there, then there's, there's a problem with what you're looking for in money and stuff. But stuff can have you. It can have your heart. Jesus talked about how it's a problem if you have all these things, but you're not rich in heaven, meaning your treasure is here below. You're not living for the next world. This is your heaven. That's when it becomes a problem. Often people try to amass a lot of luxury items Maybe because of a status symbol. Maybe because they think it'll make them feel better. Maybe because they've just wanted it their whole life. But you realize that everything in this world, all the stuff, is just temporary. And it'll only make you happy for a little bit. 
So check it out. We've got a picture of a, crew, of a, a cargo ship here uh, called the Felicity Ace. The Felicity Ace is carrying um, luxury vehicles on its way to Rhode Island. There's 1,100 Porsches on board that ship, and it's on fire end to end. <laughs> 650 foot, 60,000 ton cargo ship is an inferno. There's actually 4,000 luxury vehicles on board, including 189 Bentleys. And it's adrift and on fire. One man named Matt Farah, a car enthusiast who's been waiting for his 2022 frozen berry metallic Boxster Spider with a retail price of $123,000, modified to his precise specifications, got an email. He called it was the best sports car of all time, hands down. And he got disappointing news on Wednesday. He said, I just got a call from my dealer. My car is now adrift, possibly on fire in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Where's my car? <laughs> well, there's been a situation. Now, put that picture back up there again, because this picture of the cargo ship, uh, with all of those luxury vehicles that people will now never have unless they reorder, um, shows you just how temporary and fragile the treasures of this earth really are. And if you know your Bible, you know that one day, not just the cargo ship, but the actual earth underneath that cargo ship is going to be on fire. The earth will end in fire. And then it's all going away, folks. Then it's all going away. Then what will make your soul happy? Answer, nothing on earth. I banked with Chase, and for a while there, their ad campaign was, Chase, what matters? Now, what do you think they thought mattered? Not eternal life. More things that you can take their money and buy. And then they give you fees, right? And then they give, Chase, what matters? Go to the mall. Chasing what matters actually means settling in your heart that life is not all about the possessions and the stuff here. It's about treasure in heaven. Nothing on earth can satisfy your soul, so find abundant joy in God through Christ. Not money, not possessions. Jot this down, not honor or power. Not honor or power. So it says here, um, it says here, possessions and honor, verse 2. So he lacks nothing of all he desires. So maybe you're not a trinket person. Maybe money, it doesn't really have that big of a grip, but you love what people think about you and what they say about you, and if they like you, and you want the honor, the respect, and maybe you do go out there in the world and try and get to the highest level of your field, or write a book, or, or you want people to know how much you know. Whatever it is, you kind of swell with that desire to have the, uh, the, the acclaim of the world, right? Maybe it's more in your social circles. You're not out there in the world chasing it, but in your social circles, you want to be respected, and you want to be loved, and you want people to like you. To you, that's more precious than gold. But here's the thing. What if you get that and you're still not happy? What if you get that but God hasn't put joy in your heart? And so once you know that people love you and you know that they respect you and you still feel empty and insecure, what then? Not money, not possessions, not honor or power. It's a sad ending here. It says a stranger enjoys them. Either because the person lost everything in life and they kind of lost all of the respect of people around them, um, or they died, and somebody else is just enjoying all their stuff. This is a vanity. This is a grievous evil. The honor goes away. It's a sad ending. It kind of even suggests later in this, in, in verse 3, it says he has no burial. 
That's kind of like his family has just left the body. Like, there's either nobody around anymore, or they don't like the person, or they so despise him that nobody came to his funeral. No burial. No memorial. Had it all. All the honor, all the power, all the stuff. Everybody came to the parties, and then you go to his funeral? Nah. Nah. What a sad ending. No honor, no power in the end. Do you see how we're being challenged here not to put our hope on earth? But we do. Eric Reed said this, most of us have chosen heaven over hell, but not many of us have chosen heaven over earth. That's convicting, isn't it? Are you going to hell? No, heaven. Do you love heaven? No, I love the earth. See how that's convicting? So, number one, find abundant joy in God through Christ. Worship, walk, work, witness. Number two, because nothing on earth can satisfy your soul. Not money, not possessions, not honor or power. And then number three, jot this down, because a godless, joyless life isn't worth living. A godless, joyless life isn't worth living. So he goes on in verse three to say this. He, he, he sets out these really extreme scenarios to show you just how serious he is about this. He says in verse three, if a man fathers a hundred children... Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Now Solomon had like, what he has, like 700 wives and 300 concubines, or the other way around, 300 wives and 700 concubines. Thousand women in his life. So who knows how many children he did have. But he said, uh, if a man fathers a hundred children, uh, having children back then was a sign. People thought, oh, God must really love you, you know, and if you didn't have children, sometimes they assumed that God must be against you. Not always true. Um, but for a person to have that size family, especially for a king, that's how you built the government back then, right? Is the family, it was royal family, so you more kids equals more government. 100 children, lives many years, now you've got a long life, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. Bad ending, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should, here's another situation, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, so you got a hundred kids, you live to be two thousand. Put the candles on that cake. This is such like a lofty, he's being very imaginative here. Live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. Let's unpack this. Basically, a godless, joyless life isn't worth living. It isn't worth living. The comparison here is between a rich man who has 100 kids and lives to be 2,000 and a stillborn child who doesn't even make it into the world. And he says, it's better to be the stillborn child. Isn't that insulting? Yeah, I've seen Forbes the article about you. Yeah, I watched your reality show, Mr. 100 Kids. I think a stillborn child is better off than you. That's what he's saying. Because the person's soul is not satisfied by God. They're looking for it all on earth, and they're not finding it. A stillborn child is better off than he. For it, the stillborn child comes in vanity, goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun. So the stillborn child doesn't make it into the world, hasn't seen anything, or known anything. Hasn't known anything. Yet it finds rest rather than he. 
stillborn child is just at rest. No toil, no worries, no false hopes. Do you see how insulting that is? Solomon looks at a stillborn child and looks at this person who's living to be 2,000 with 100 kids and has it all, and he's like, yeah, that better off over here, better off over here. What a waste of a life your life is if you're trying to build it all on earth. Be better if you didn't even start. Wow. Wow. Jot this down. A godless, joyless life isn't worth living, even if you have 100 children and live 2,000 years. Even if you have 100 children and live 2,000 years. Family, people are big on family, posting pictures about family, Christmas cards with pictures of your family, what's going on with your family, we like to talk about our family, and is family the answer to making life joyful? No, not without the joy of the Lord. Family's good, but without Jesus, family is temporary, and it goes away in the end. What about your health? What if I, you find the next health food, you drink the shake, you get off the carbs, you take your supplements, and you live to be 2,000. People would want to hear your secrets, right? What's his secret? He's 1,000 years old and still going. Can health lead to happiness? Ah, uh, no. Being healthy, living longer, good, good, good. In the end, it says do not all go to one place. Verse 6, you're still going to leave. Doesn't matter how long you had here. Even if you lived twice as long as Methuselah, it's still going to end for you. Therefore, you can't find what you're looking for. A godless, joyless life isn't worth living. The thought of living for a long time has fascinated people. The tech world is trying to say you can live for a long time once we get all of your health problems sorted through, but will that lead you to more happiness? The answer is no, it won't. Longer life alone can't do it. When I was in college, there was a show on TV called Highlander. Any of you watch Highlander? Sword fights immortals but there could only be one so they'd always fight each other and then one of them would lose and the other one would like get his essence it's not a christian show but i wasn't a christian so it's okay that i was watching it back then the whole point is it's fascinating that you've got these people who've been around for hundreds of years and you're like wow how cool would that be uh nope wouldn't be cool and they actually spent a good amount of time in the show showing how lonely they were and how sad they were. And one of the most powerful episodes is when he lost the woman that he loved and realized he just has to keep living now. Longer life, overrated, at least on earth. Even if you have 100 children and live 2,000 years, a godless, joyless life isn't worth living. Jot this down. No matter if you're wise, foolish, rich, or poor. Wise, foolish, rich, or poor. So this next passage is a little confusing, so track with me here. He says in verse 7, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. He's making an observation there. You work, you eat, then you got to work again, then you got to eat again. Then you got to work again, then you got to eat again. It's never over. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? So now there's the person who's eating a lot, working a lot. Now there's the wise person and the fool. And when Solomon says, what advantage has the wise man over the fool, it gets confusing because it's clearer in another book he wrote, the book of Proverbs, he wrote most of the Proverbs, it's clear that there is an advantage to being wise, right? So what do we do with the Bible when it kind of says two different things? That's called a paradox. So it says that wisdom is clearly better and you should definitely choose it, but here it says there's no advantage whether you're wise or a fool. Now we have to ask what that means. It doesn't mean he changed his mind and you can just go and become a fool. 
It means that certain things are true whether you're wise or foolish. And one thing that's true whether you're wise or foolish is a godless, joyless life isn't worth living. Even if you're wise, even if you're a fool, if you're godless and if you're joyless, your life is not worth living. No matter how wise you are, no matter how much you're putting in your mouth, even if you're wise or foolish, rich or poor, this truth remains. It says, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? In your station of life, even if you're doing your best, you still won't find that satisfaction if you're living a godless, joyless life. Better, in this, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Meaning some people know that they want to be content, but if you're godless and joyless, this is also, he says, vanity and striving after the wind. When it comes to what will make us happy, it's not more food, it's not more wisdom apart from God. Those things can't satisfy. But the world keeps trying to stuff us full of new pleasure. Am I right? They don't stop coming up with ways to tempt us. I was going through the McDonald's drive-thru last week and they came up with a new idea. Here's a picture of it. McDonald's has this new idea. It's called the Land, Air, and Sea Sandwich. It's a Big Mac plus a McChicken plus a filet of fish. Look out. <laughs> wow. There it is, everyone. The next big thing. One more thing to consume. But it won't last. Might last longer than just cheeseburger, but... It doesn't matter if you have more or less. It doesn't matter if you know more or less. If you're on the godless, joyless life plan, your life is not worth living. Jot this down. And your life will pass like a shadow and you'll leave without hope. Your life will pass like a shadow and you'll leave without hope. Verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named. So that kind of takes us back to Genesis, right? The naming of the animals. We're, we're kind of now seeing how God fixed the created order. Solomon's trying to tell us that this has been the way it's been from the, the start. And it is known what man is, set, that can include a lot of things, but it seems in the context to include our lot as humans. It's fixed. It's set. These things will never change. And that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Strongly, uh, interpretively, means God. You, you can't argue with God about the way that he set the human order. Everything Solomon just said has been fixed by God. The more words, the more vanity. We can keep talking about it. It's not going to change it. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? How it will turn out, which he passes like a shadow. A lot of ways the Bible describes humanity. Um, grass, flowers of the field, a breath, a vapor, a moment, an illusion, a phantom, not flattering. And now a shadow, like a shadow. You see my, my shadow? It's just like if I step into the light, it's gone. It's just the shadow, the, that's all life is. And as the sun comes up and then goes down, the shadow's gone. That's life. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? He laments that nothing new happens. He's stuck in his lot. There's nothing next, and you can't figure out what happens once you're gone. The clock is winding down. Some scholars think that Solomon wrote this book later in his life, 
as a bit of a repentance because he tried to find meaning, he tried to find an opulence, an indulgence, and finally he realized he was a shell of a man. And it does come across as a man who's lamenting this search. He's, he, he's kind of tried it and it's failed. He's not in the middle of it, he's kind of at the end of it. And he's looking back and he's like, it didn't work. And he's warning us. It's like a shadow, and his shadow's almost gone, and he's going to leave this world without hope. And he really wants you to see where your life is taking you in the end, but he can't tell you what's coming. That's where the New Testament picks up, where Solomon leaves off. Solomon knows enough to tell us that if you don't find joy in God, if he doesn't give you joy as a gift, nothing will make you happy. Solomon knows enough to tell us that, but he couldn't know that it's only in Jesus that the abundant, eternal joy has been actually handed down to us. Solomon didn't know that yet. But when it comes to not knowing what comes next, there's no visibility there. What will be after him under the sun? Who can tell a man what will be after him? So I was going up to camp just for a quick trip. I went Friday, Saturday to camp to be with the students. And I don't know if you read the weather forecast, but on Friday we were in a blizzard on the way up to camp. Usually it takes about five hours to get to camp, seven and a half hours. Didn't get there until way past midnight crazy and it was it i think it was the craziest driving conditions i've ever experienced because the wind was like a jet stream but the road was somewhat clear so you're going you know this speed limit a little bit over and the wind is kind of knocking you around but then it would find snow somewhere and grab it the craziest thing would happen the road would vanish because this snow would come in and you couldn't see anything. I mean, you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see the headlights in front of you. You couldn't see the lines. You were blind. And it would happen for a second or two. And then one time it happened for five seconds. And I'm like, whoa. And one time it happened for 10 seconds. Where I'm, I'm in my van, right? I'm driving and boom, the road is gone. And the snow's not coming straight. It's going like this. So I'm like, am I even going straight? And I'm trying to slow down. But the people who are just a little behind you, they're not in it, so they're still going full speed. So you can't quite slow. It was really crazy. But when you lose visibility and you're driving, it's terrifying. Now, when it comes to what Solomon's saying here, he's got no visibility of what comes next on earth or in heaven. He doesn't know. That's why we have to look ahead and figure out where we're actually going before it's too late. So here's how we're going to end this. Find abundant joy in God through Christ because nothing on earth can satisfy your soul, not money, not possessions, not honor or power. And because a godless, joyless life isn't worth living. Even if you have 100 kids, 2,000 years, no matter if you're wise, foolish, rich, or poor, your life will pass like a shadow and you'll leave without hope. Jot this down. We'll say it again. Therefore, find abundant joy in God through Christ. We started and ended with the same point. When you have Christ, you have visibility. You know where your life is heading. Even if you can't quite see the next mile, you know your destiny. You know that you'll be with Jesus in paradise forever and ever. And then all that this world tries to tempt you with is no big deal. You don't have to set your heart on things down here. You've already got treasure in heaven. You already have the honor of God. You already have the power of Christ. And you get to walk around this earth with everything, every spiritual blessing, in Christ. Max Licato, around Christmas time, wrote something that I'm going to end with. He was thinking about Simeon. You remember what Simeon was promised? 
Simeon was promised he wouldn't die until what? Until he saw, he saw Christ. He saw Christ. He knew he wasn't going to die. He was given a prophecy. He wouldn't die until he saw the Christ. Until he saw Jesus the first Christmas, right? And Max Cicado thought about that. Here's what he wrote. Simeon's this old man, right? Some don't want to die until they've seen the world. Simeon's dream was not so timid. He didn't want to die until he had seen the maker of the world. Holding that Christ child, he said, Lord, you can now release your servant. He was ready to go. He's not like, one more car, one more trip, one more chariot, one more meal. One... He had it all. And he just had to see Christ. He just, <gasps> is that your heart? Do you realize we have it all in Christ? Maybe you, maybe you know that, and you just have to remind yourself of that today. Maybe you don't know that, and it's time for the first time to reach out and receive that free gift of eternal life, to have it all in Christ. What peace you'll enjoy. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer together right now. Father, what a book. What, what a warning. What an invitation. What an indictment. We have all desired to drink deeply of the pleasures of this world. We have all believed that if we had more, we would be happier. We have all longed for more power, more prominence, more pleasure, Lord, believing that these things can satisfy our souls. We've been fools. We've flaunted. We've envied. But now we know. We know that this world can't satisfy our souls. Solomon knew it. He had it all. Richest, wisest man alive. Had a whole kingdom. Not happy. Help us to hear his exhortation. That if you don't give us joy, if you don't give us peace, nothing will. And we know, Jesus, that it is in your presence that we find the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace. All of heaven's glory is in you, Jesus. So I just pray first for those who are here today, and maybe they've never realized that. Maybe they know exactly what it feels like to be chasing the wind. They are empty-handed, or at least empty-hearted. They're vacant. And they're tempted to make one more, one more big grand attempt at finding what will satisfy them, but they're not happy. And maybe they're ready to give that up and to say it's, it's got to be something more, something greater, something out of this world. Maybe they're ready to realize, Jesus, that it's only you. That it's only you. That you have heaven's kingdom and power and glory where the streets are made of gold where man can live and never die, and all the tears will be wiped away from our eyes. Maybe they realize it's time to lift up their eyes and desire something much bigger, something much bigger than a million worlds, heaven. And Lord, maybe right now people are ready to ask Jesus to save them. Maybe right now, whether they're watching online or they're here in person, they're ready to say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me for my worldliness. Jesus, forgive me for putting my hope in dust. Jesus, I set my heart on seeking you. I set my mind on things that are above where you are. You are my life now. I'll live for you because you died for me. Lord, give them reassurance that if they pray and repent and ask you to be their Savior, they have treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy or corrode or corrupt. 
and they can walk around this world lacking nothing. Whether they have a lot or a little, whether they're wise or foolish, doesn't matter. They've got joy in you. They're forgiven. They're free. Help them to enjoy that. And Lord, for those of us who've walked with you for many years, it's so easy to get distracted, Lord. It's so easy to feel like we're not happy or secure or safe because we don't have those things that others have or because financially we're not where we want to be. Something surprising comes up, Lord, and then our joy goes down. It's in that moment we realize that we've forgotten. We forgot that you're on the throne. We have nothing to fear. Everything is ours in Christ. Everything. So help us to trust you. Help us to calm down. Help us to relax. And help us to be content. Whether we know what it is to have much or we know what it is to have little, help us to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You'll meet all of our needs. Give us rest. Give us peace. You're a good Savior. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us when we've set our heart on the things of this life. Bring us again to the joy that only your throne room can afford us, where we have access to commune and fellowship with God. Fill us with that joy and help us to bring it around everywhere we go this week. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name.